Good morning, church, and happy Lord's Day. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word discernment, discernment, but I'd like us to consider the importance of this principle this morning. The Apostle John is presenting an argument before us at the beginning of chapter 4, centered around the significance of the ability to discern in the life of the Christian. Discernment can be defined as, uh, I suppose you could say, the ability to judge well. Um, We as humans, and even especially as Christians, need to be able to make judgments. We need to be able to discern. We need to be able to tell between A and B, between option one and option two. Some of us would, would, might say that we're, we're gifted in this area, and some of us might say this is an area of growth. Some of us say we're really good at it. Some of us lack skill. Some of us um, might deploy our ability to discern on a daily basis without even realizing it, and others might be willing to admit that, again, this is an area of struggle or an area of growth. And regardless of where we're at, whether we um, consider ourselves gifted in this area or not, John is going to impress upon us the importance of this. Um, in the context of 1 John chapter 4, our text for this morning, John lays before us the need to discern. Discern between things that are true and things that are false. Information that is either true or a lie. Ideas that are either true or untrue. John clearly shows us the need to discern between ultimately truth and error. And this is ever so applicable in our day and age because if you think about it, our culture is all about information, information intake, information overload. We're like walking sponges, you know, absorbing different information from our different spheres of influence, whether we're reading the newspaper or listening to the radio, whether we're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, might even be something as simple as just talking with our friends. Even while you're listening to this very sermon, you should be discerning whether or not what you're hearing, the information you are taking in, we ought to be discerning whether it is true or it is false. Because as we will see in the text, there is a such thing as authoritative truth, but there is also a lot out there in the world that is nothing but a pile of lies. And so this is the main idea of our passage for this morning. Let's read it together. And then I will pray, and then we'll jump right into the text this morning. But let me remind you that what we are about to hear is true. These are not lies. We believe this, right? All scripture is truth. The God of the universe is going to speak truth into our lives. And so I pray that we would give it our full attention as we read it this morning. The Lord says this to us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the one true living God, creator and 
maker of this earth and all of its inhabitants. You are good and sovereign and pure and true. Father, we acknowledge that we fall short of your glory. We've sinned against you, our most holy God. We rebel against the truth. We've often pursued the lies of this world. Forgive us, Father. Be gracious and merciful to us, your people. And as we hear from you, as you speak to us through your word, first given to these churches in the first century and now boldly declared to us, may we hear from you. May we find joy and contentment in your words of truth to us. And may we be a changed church, a changed people of God, transformed, purified. We want to grow in grace and be molded in the image of your Son by the power of the Spirit of truth. Be glorified, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. My thesis, if you will, this morning is quite simple. It is as follows. Christians ought to be testing the spirits with the Son of God through the Spirit of God. Christians ought to be testing the spirits with the Son of God through the Spirit of God. We need to be testing, number one. Number two, what do we test with? Ultimately, Jesus Christ Number three, how ought this be done? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So three points. Verse one, test the spirits. Verses two and three, with the Son of God. Verses four, five, and six, through the Spirit of God. Christians ought to be testing the spirits with the Son of God through the Spirit of God. And so let's just jump right into verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is operating under a large presupposition here. The assumption that John is making in these verses is the reality that truth exists. There is such thing as absolute truth. He doesn't try to prove this to his listeners, but he bypasses this fact and launches into his argument, assuming that these Christians already know and believe that truth exists. And not only that truth exists, but that all truth comes from God. God is truth. He defines what is true. What proceeds from the Godhead is ultimately true, fully true, absolutely true, without the slightest bit of error. It's pure, completely pure. Because if anything that proceeds from God is a lie, that would be a defamation of his character. It would defy God's very nature. John assumes this fact. Verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. These prophets that are going out into the world and spreading ideas contrary to God are false prophets. God is the standard of truth. And so when these folks are going out and spreading things contrary to God, it makes them false prophets. They're contradicting truth. They are antithetical to actuality. And so the Gnostics in the ancient Near East and many other sense have gone out into the world and have proclaimed a message contrary to God, which by nature makes them false. And in the midst of operating under this very large presupposition, he tells these churches to be ready to discern. These false prophets are running rampant. They have gone out into the world and are spreading lies. They are deceivers, manipulators, fabricators. They're false prophets spewing falsehood to anyone who will listen. And because these liars are spreading like wildfire and continuing to grow in number, he doesn't want the beloved, 
That's just how, that's how he addresses them, the beloved. He doesn't want the beloved believing everything that they hear. Do not believe every spirit, he says. He loves these people. He cares for them. John desires what is best for them. They are his beloved. And what is best for them? It's best for them to be people of the truth. He encourages them to perk their senses. Start watching for this. Start listening for this. Can you smell a lie? Do you have that ability? Can you discern? Are you testing the spirits? We as Christians need to be critical. And at first glance, that might seem contradictory to anything Christian-like. And what I mean by critical is, is, is really analytical. We need to be critical listeners, critical observers. Not cynical, but investigative. Because there is a war raging against the truth of God. Surely we're aware of this reality. All of us are, right? Even in our American culture, the truth of God is being attacked. And so whose side are we on? Are we on God's or the enemy's? Are we on Christ's or the Antichrist? And these Antichrists are cunning. These false prophets know what they're doing. They are sneaky and devious. They are crafty. And when I say crafty, what do we think of it? It draws us back to the garden, right? The, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And what does he say? How does the father of lies try to deceive Adam and Eve? We all know this well. He, he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? That's not even what he said, but he said, does he really say that? Come on, that's silly. You don't really believe that, do you? Do you see how crafty that is? How, how, how sneaky that is? How, how close to the truth that is? But just with a little twist, just a little fudge of the truth, a little falsehood sewed in. And that is why we as Christians, it's crucial, it's critical. We have to be analyzing the information that we intake. Because oftentimes these false prophets are advancing blatant lies, direct falsehood that's obviously ridiculous, but even more often... These false prophets are taking the truth and twisting it a little, fudging the details ever so slightly to make it even more believable. And that's why Charles Spurgeon said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. This past week, I had um, some trouble with my septic tank. It was backing up. And so uh, yesterday, I had a guy over and he dug it up and diagnosed the problem. Um, it's been... Tremendous headache, but to make a long story short, we don't quite know what the issue is yet. Uh, we're going to have it pumped out on Monday, and they're going to do some more tests. But one of the things they want me to do is to put these these dye tablets through the septic system so that I can uh, kind of run into the drainage field and make sure that everything is okay in the drain field. And so the septic guy was over, and he gave me a, a Ziploc baggie full of these dye tablets to, to use once the tank is drained on Monday. And so he gave them to me, and I grabbed them from him and, and kind of just threw them on the, the laundry room uh, counter on the way into the house. Well, anyway, I tell you all that to tell you that Haddon has had a stomach ache the past few days. And he knows that when he has a tummy ache, we usually give him a Tums to calm his system down. Well, wouldn't you know it that these dye tablets that the septic guy gave me are identical in shape and in size and in color to a Tums tablet? And so Haddon grabbed the baggie off of the laundry room counter and, thank God, asked me if he could have one to make his tummy feel better, thinking that they were Tums. And the only thing different between the Tums tablet and the dye tablet, as far as I could tell, 
is smell. I'm sure that they tasted different, but I wasn't about to find out. But same color, same size, same shape, but death disguised as life. They would have killed him if he ate one. But he didn't know any better. He, he doesn't know how to, how to discern between truth and error like me and you. But that's how dangerous it is. It could kill us. It, it clothes itself with just enough similarity sometimes. Looks the same, shape, size, color, all the same. But when you partake of it, it could lead to death. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to discern. That's why John writes to his beloved congregation and implores them to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And notice here, when we test the spirits, it is their truth or their error that is the deciding factor. If they are speaking truth, they are from God. But it's not in their personality. It's not in their eloquence. It's not in their education credentials it's not in how well they present themselves i think it's frightening to me um, to even consider how many how many sheep are being led astray because they follow a shepherd who can really preach the lights out a la a guy like stephen furtick that dude puts on a show when he preaches it's like edge of the seat type stuff if i'm honest it's it's pretty entertaining by the world's standards it's not boring he's not putting anyone to sleep He's usually got some, you know, some sort of crazy prop or wild illustration that somewhat connects and it really grabs your attention. But dynamic personality in preaching is not what we should be drawn to. That's so man-centered. Not only does he preach falsehood from time to time, but it's so Stephen-centered preaching. Truth is what we should be drawn to. The truths of God should be what impresses us, not the tricks of man. And so when we are discerning, when we are being critical, when we are analyzing, when we are testing the spirits, we are ultimately testing the content of the argument. Is it true or is it false? One final point here uh, before moving on to verse 2 is the fact that this is a black and white matter. John is speaking here of matters that are either true or false, true or lies, truth or error. And the contrast is stark. He can't get around it. He is clearly distinguishing here between truth that comes from God and error that comes from false prophets. And this isn't gray. Either something reflects God or it doesn't. Either it proceeds from the Godhead, which is true and pure, or it doesn't. And at some level is untrue error. And this isn't to say that that some things from our vantage point at least can seem gray. We we might not all have all the answers. We might not have complete understanding on an issue. But that doesn't mean that the truth of the matter isn't there. It doesn't mean it, it just means that we're finite. God is infinite. And the creator, the, the, the infinite creator, can't be fully comprehended by finite creatures, or he would cease to be the infinite God. But truth is no way relative. In no way, shape, or form is truth relative. Truth doesn't mold and morph and change at certain times with certain people and in certain cultures. When it comes to morality, for example, moral truth is rooted in an immutable and an unchangeable God. Truth transcends culture and context. The same truth that was true for the churches in the first century, the same truth that they held fast to, is the same truth that we ought to hold fast to in the 21st century. These are the same tests. The same discernment is needed. Christians need to test the spirits. They needed to test them then, and we need to test them now. Moving on in the text to verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. As Christians, like we have already seen, we ought to test the spirits, but what is the backdrop? How do we know if the spirit is true or false? What should we test them with? With the Son of God. We are to test the spirits particularly by what they say about Jesus Christ. And there's more to say, that is for sure. This is, this is the pinnacle of truth, if you will. If you get Christ wrong, everything else falls apart. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you deny the truth, if you deny Christ, then you are a spirit that is not from God, John says. Doctrine is important. Theology is important. This is why, in my opinion, pastors and elders need to go through a formal and somewhat rigorous ordination process because the church needs to know what they're working with. Too often, uh, the matters of doctrine and theology don't get talked about. Many churches just assume that because certain people serve the church well and are kind to folks and can speak enough Christianese to get through a sermon, that that means that they're qualified to be an elder or a pastor, and yet they're doctrinally weak. There are Christological things that if we don't confess, or if we confess too much, can make us a false prophet. Christology in John's is in John's focus here, and this is essential To his doctrine. The doctrine of Christ is what he seems to think is so essential. This is the backdrop. What we confess of the Son of God is vital. We ought to be testing the spirits, and we test them ultimately by what they confess about Jesus Christ. It's not the only doctrine that we should be critical of. It's not the only test. It's not the only doctrine that if we get wrong can make us a false prophet. But it certainly is the most important one. This is fundamental. There are many more things that are fundamental to our faith, but this certainly is chief among them. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus might be the most important question you can ever ask someone. Because there's a lot riding on their answer. And this world is full of people who come up with all kinds of answers. Some say Jesus is a, a good moral teacher. You know, they'll acknowledge his existence. They're rational enough not to deny his historicity, but they really lack faith in him. And I've never really understood this particular line of thinking. I haven't personally come across too many people that will think this way, but they're definitely out there. But it's it's such a logical fallacy to say that Jesus is a good moral teacher, even a perfect moral teacher, and deny that he is God. Because Jesus claims to be God. Jesus says, I am. And if he claims to be God, then as C.S. Lewis so famously pointed out, we have a great trilemma. Lewis says that when Jesus says, I am Lord, we have three options. Either he's a liar, and if he's a liar, then that makes him no longer a good moral teacher. Or he's a lunatic. He's not actually Lord, but he's just a little crazy in the head. Or he's actually Lord. He's actually who he says he is. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Which is it? Everyone has to answer with one of those three options. And so whether it's it's Islam or Hinduism or Jehovah's Witnesses, so-called atheism, they all deny Christ's lordship in one way or another. But in the context of this passage in 1 John, when we get more specific with John's focus and what he is dealing with in the first century, he's focused on the physical nature of Christ. He's focused on the divine Christ who took on human nature, the fact that the second person of the Trinity came and took on human nature in the Incarnation. 
And we see this in the text. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so John here in the immediate context, like we have already been discussing all throughout this letter, is combating early forms of Gnosticism and Docetism. These are heretical views that denied a literal Christ. They denied a physical incarnation. They denied that Jesus came and took on flesh. Rather, they confessed that Jesus only seemed to be human. He only appeared to be human. So they take Jesus. They don't deny him entirely, but they twist the truth. And John would classify this group of truth twisters as false prophets. He says in verse 3 that they have the spirit of the Antichrist. And so, brethren, let me declare before you as clear as I know how and with as much certainty as I can muster. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. How else could God have saved sinners if his Son had not come in our flesh and as our representative head fulfilled all righteousness and made atonement for sin? Jesus Christ is fully God and is fully man. Two natures, one essence, the God-man. And if anyone claims or confesses anything contrary, then we should, as James Montgomery Boyce says, tolerate no such system. Christians ought to be testing the spirits. Christians ought to be testing the spirits with the Son of God. Finally, Christians ought to be testing the spirits with the Son of God by the Spirit of God. Verses 4 through 6. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak like the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to guide us into God's truth and to protect us from destructive error. And as Ian Hamilton notes, there is little doubt that John is highlighting here the indwelling presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what John says in his gospel account in uh, John sixteen thirteen. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit is greater than he who is in the world. Talk about a comfort to your soul, right? Christian, the Holy Spirit that has indwelt inside you is greater than he who is in the world. Greater, stronger, mightier. He is able. Able to protect you and guide you and to minister grace and truth to your soul. Heed that reality. Heed that reality with great comfort. The lies of this world will not overcome your mind because the Holy Spirit is greater. The falsehood of secularism and everything that that entails will not defeat you if the Holy Spirit indwells in you because the Holy Spirit is greater. Your own evil ways, your own sinful mind, your own wayward self won't even defeat you. Remember uh, the last chapter, John chapter 3, God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than our minds. The errors of this world will not ultimately be destructive to the soul and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Take comfort in that reality. 
But then that begs a, a pretty big question, doesn't it? How does the Holy Spirit protect us from the spirit of the Antichrist? From the many false prophets who have gone out into the world? Answer, he does so by illuminating our minds to the truths of God. So then that begs another question. Where are these truths contained? Answer, in the Holy Scriptures. First Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The Bible was breathed out by the Spirit of God, and it teaches us. What does it teach us? It teaches us truth. It corrects us. What does it correct? Lies we believe from false prophets. And it trains us in righteousness. It trains us in the truth of God. Second Peter 1, 20-21, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now that the canon is closed, God no longer speaks new prophecy, but the Holy Spirit speaks through the written word of God. And he does this to protect our minds from error, to renew our minds in the truth. He enables our minds to understand the teaching of Scripture as opposed to the teaching of the world. John says here in these verses that those who are in the world love the teaching of the world. Verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world. The world listens to them. This is piggybacking off of what we talked about last week. John is talking about love, and we talked about how sometimes love is confrontational. Love corrects sin, love rebukes. And this is contrary to everything the world has to offer. And John doubles down here on this point. The world loves the message of the world. To pander to the world means you are of the world. To speak the language of the world means you are of the world. When you seek to advance non-Christian ideas, it's evidence you're a non-Christian. When you seek to embrace a morality that is world-pleasing, it is indicative of the fact that you are pleasing the world and not the Holy Spirit. One final point here that I think needs to be made, and I'll close with this. If we can bring back the analogy of the dye tablet and the Tums tablet. The only way to know a dye tablet isn't a Tums tablet is to know the Tums tablet. Like really know the Tums tablet. So when you are faced with something that feels like it and looks like it, you are able to discern that it really isn't it. You have to know the word of God in order to know what it isn't. You have to know the truth to sniff out the error. You have to hide the word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. So brethren, if you are not daily in the word, seeking to know the truth in more intimate ways, might I warn you that the false prophets are getting craftier and craftier. The spirit of the Antichrist will be hard for you to discern if you are not consistently swimming the depths of God's truth contained in his holy word. Christians ought to test the spirits. Christians ought to test the spirits with the Son of God. Christians ought to test the spirits with the Son of God through the Spirit of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, be merciful to us. Grant us mercy. We don't deserve how good you are to us. We are thankful for the Son of God who came and took on flesh lived the perfectly moral, righteous life in order to lay that righteousness upon us wicked sinners, to take the wrath that we deserved upon himself. 
thankful for the Holy Spirit who ministers grace and truth to our souls. May we be empowered by him more and more each day to seek the truth contained in your holy scriptures. And as we do, would you go before us and lead us and guide us, and protect us, to grow us in truth and in grace, in Christ's name. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria, church.